Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we find out about the fast and furious dog sport of flyball. Yeah, it makes them fit and active, it gets them using all the muscles and they're turning and they're just enjoying life and yeah. running around staying fit and happy. And we have the Dogcast Radio news and we'll tell you how Buddy got on when he attended open auditions for the role of Toto. But before all that, we have an interview with Sarah Hodgson, who's the author of Dog Tricks and Agility for Dummies. As well as being a prolific author, Sarah is a columnist, media personality and inventor. Now, I like the sound of anything made simpler, so I wanted to talk to her about the approach behind the book. I had this whole new, um, this whole new epiphany came over me. I have, like, regular epiphanies. I'm always thinking of things from a different angle. But I was talking to somebody, and I said, you know, one of the, one of the things that's worked most, most effectively with me as a parent is that I keep my children very active and busy and not in any structured or organized way. I just send them out in the backyard or, you know, I just let them run around the house. We don't have a lot of rules, so there's scooters and bikes in the house. It's not that big of a house, but it works. And I give them little chores to do all throughout the day. So it keeps them busy, and I'm like, oh, I need you guys to help me do this, that, or the other thing. So I'm like, that's what... What dogs need, and that's what this book will provide, is not tricks to be frivolous, but, but simple tricks that engage them. So if you don't have the time to take up an extra activity such as agility or search and rescue or pet therapy, which are great and dogs love them, but if you don't have that time, you can teach your dog in, in a matter of maybe three, five to ten minute lessons how to target, how to close a drawer, how to carry, help you carry the groceries in or carry a pair of socks up while you're doing the laundry. And you can help them identify daily routines such as going upstairs or going to wake Lindsay up with simple words so that they, so that they know what's coming next rather than feel anxious about what could happen next. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, definitely, definitely. So I guess your experience with your own dogs you know, inspired the book? Oh, sure. Yeah. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old, like completely obsessively. I've never done anything else in my entire life but, but train dogs and, and um, work with people. Yeah. yeah. And, and it really was, it, I had kind of a lonely childhood and that my sibs were much older and my mom was a single mom. My father had passed away and worked full time. So as a teacher and then was very involved in the church. So I spent a lot of time alone with my dogs. And at a very young age, I communicated with them rather fluently because they were my only companions. And she allowed me to have a lot of pets. So I communicated all the pets. And it's really, I feel the first language I learned is, is dogs and nonverbal communication and how powerful um, uh, how powerful, how how intensely connected and effective you can be communicating to others non-verbally, yeah. whether they're dogs or people. And so I learned this lesson from pretty much the time I could walk, and it's carried me very well. I mean, I I love people now, and and I um, and I you know was of normal intelligence, so I went to school and and made a lot of friends. Um, 
but really my first lessons were were taught at the at the paws of of my pets yeah. and my dogs in particular yeah now you, you you've talked there about sort of communicating fluently with your dog and one of the things I really like about this book is you you break it down into steps for people and you say, you know, you use commands, you use signals. So you, you give people the tools that they need to communicate with their dog. Yeah, I mean, my passion is not having, is not doing the job for people. It's opening up that door in their mind, opening up that that room where they, and, and teaching them the skills that they can then used to communicate to the dog they're with and to every other dog in the future. So when I'm writing a book, I'm trying to give people the tools they need to communicate to their dog as well as to other dogs they'll have in the future as well to other dogs they meet. The funnest stories people tell me is they'll come back and say, you know, I was at my sister's last week and she doesn't do a thing with her dog. But in five minutes, I had that dog walking on a leash. It was giving me its paw. Because once I teach someone how to communicate with animals, they can communicate with everything from a chicken to a dog, to an elephant. They learn to watch the animal and read their body cues for signals and how, what they're feeling and, and what they're trying to convey. Yeah. And it's really not that hard. It's not like teaching someone Russian. It's watch the ears, watch the eyes, watch the, the body language, and especially the, the tail of a dog to understand what that dog is trying to communicate to you. Yeah, yeah, And I even teach this to very young children. I always say, put your hand out. If the dog approaches it and their tail is wagging um, happily, and I teach them how to read a happy tail wag, then what that dog is communicating is that they want to know you. If the dog pulls their eyes away and, won't, and pulls their body back, they're saying, I don't want to know you today. And I encourage children and adults to not take it personally. Not yeah. everybody is going to yeah. want to know you. And not every dog's going to want to know you. And yeah. it's really a boundary issue. And it's surprising to me how often people um, don't respect the boundaries of, of, of a dog. Mm. You know, when mm. a dog is pulling away, they don't want you to come closer. They're feeling scared in the moment. So, again, it's just people not understanding body language. And in trick training, you want to, we can, uh, you know, we'll want to tie this back into trick training somehow. But you want to start with a dog that's open to learning and excited about learning. And how you foster that is by being very upbeat and positive and using, um, I use food rewards if the dog is motivated by food, um, uh, GBO and attention, you know, I effervesce if the dog likes, is, is motivated by praise or a favorite toy or squeak or tennis ball or something so the first step in trick training is finding out what excites the dog and then using that to to help them develop a positive association to doing um different behaviors yeah and they they do because i remember we um we have an alley-oop you know sort of it's it's um like a stick with a ball on the top and a, a weighted bottom so it won't fall over it's like a target thing for the dog and and you put the alley up wherever you want the dog to go it's like you know like like your target discs and um and you tell the dog to go to it. And we did clicking with it. And as soon as we get this alley-oop and the clicker out, you know, Buddy's tail's going and he's, he's oh, great, great. We're going to do some training. And they do get really into it. Oh, sure. But, but it's like mommy and me time. How special for them. Their life yeah. is very boring. Dogs just don't have uh, a life's calling anymore. 
there aren't sheep for the herding breeds to to sheep or rabbits for the hounds to chase and and because of that the the their inner their inner beat is is never you know it's never developed mm. So what trick training does is it excites them. It gives them something to look forward to. It gives them a way to connect. If you think about it from a dog's perspective, hanging out in the house, having all your needs met is is not really all that much of a pleasure trip. You know, dogs would rather have a little excitement in their day, and that's what tricks can provide um, for them as well as a way for you to communicate uh, uh, to them or to invite them into your life to interact. You know, just something as simple as uh, let's go for a walk and teaching the dog to carry their leash is exciting because it lets them take part in the process. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, as well, it's great, as you say, that, that process of sort of teaching your dog these tricks and the dog enjoys them. But then it really is, it does make you feel good when you can say to people, hey, have you seen what my dog can do? And, right. you know, that is fun. And one of the things I really like about uh, this book is you include advice for sort of how to turn the trick into a performance. Right. Um, I mean, the magic of... of being human and being dog is is to connect with other people. And like you said, if your dog can do a trick, it's a wonderful way to share and connect with other people. Um, one of the things that, that that I try to help people understand is that is that as a dog, they they live in three realms. They live in your home, which is a den where things are very stable and predictable. And this is the place to get trick training started because it's a place where they're most con- confident and comfortable working with you. And then after that, if you're going to work towards performing, you have to work the dog into kind of smaller audiences um, within your home and then get them comfortable working uh, away from the house. And one way that I encourage people to do this is to, when you're practicing your tricks, use uh, a training mat. And the training mat can just be a big old child's blanket or a quilt, but a training mat is something that they're familiar working on and that you can then fold up and take with you wherever you go. And another uh, magical little um, uh, trick to use with training is something I call target training, where you teach the dog to target a small disc, and then, again, that becomes a way to transport uh, their tricks and their props so that you can use them in any uh, arena let, let's take that, you know, the, the idea that, you know, you've said that the target disc, which is great. And I mean, you take something as simple, which and something that most dogs do, which is give poor. And you show how you can develop that, you know, and again, with the use of the target disc. So tell us how we can develop that. So when you're working, when you're thinking of what kind of tricks could I teach my dog, you want to ask your dog yourself what your dog is interested in. Are they paw expressive? Do they like to carry things in their mouth? Are they scent oriented? Are they very agile? Do they like to stand on two paws? You, you, you boil that down. Let's say you have a very paw expressive dog. Every time you're sitting reading the paper and having a cup of coffee, the, the dog's kind of clawing at your arm to get you to pet them. Well, that's a very paw expressive dog. And while you might lose a few cups of coffee, uh, if you don't channel that passion, you could easily channel that passion into uh, a few fun and simple paw tricks. And the first one you get started with is a simple, uh, you know, holding out your hand and having 
um, the dog give you their paw and you shake it. And that's adorable. And it can be really any word. It could be paw. It could be shake. Um, you pick a word. You have a treat in your hand. Um, I use two techniques to teach paw. I either hold the treat in my hand and hold it near uh, the floor so that the dog paws at my hand to get the treat, at which time I say paw, and I release the treat and I give it to them. And that takes about 10 repetitions, and the dog begins to do it automatically. Mm -hmm. Then you raise your hand a little bit further until you're... Uh, you know, a few inches off the ground, and then you phase off the treats. Another technique I use is to simply press on the dog's shoulder muscle, which uh, is a pressure point to release the paw. And again, that'll take probably 10 to 20 repetitions, a little more when you're prompting the behavior through pressure points and when you're just luring them with food. So we've got the dog giving paw, which is adorable. Now, the next thing you can do is angle your hand as you reach it out, uh, open for uh, paw and just angle it so that you're now holding your finger straight to the sky and as you would normally say paw you prompt it by saying high five paw and eventually if your hand is held flat they'll put their paw eventually which is always to meet uh, but somewhere between 10 to 20 repetitions so somewhere between 10 to 20 repetitions you'll be now able to prompt two cues paw and high five you can then take that into teaching the dog to wave and simply hold out the high five signal and prompt the dog with wave high five. And then between 10 and 20 repetitions, you'll now have three behaviors. And by the way, when you're doing wave high five, just as the dog is about to make a contact with your hand to do the high five, you pull it back slightly and you wave your fingers as though you were waving to the dog. Mm -hmm. So now you've gone from one cue to three in a short span of time in about a week. Um, now, to teach that dog to do that behavior in other locations, what I encouraged initially was using a training mat. So when you're sitting your dog down to practice your tricks, you sit them down on a child's blanket or a flat mat that's easy to transport. Then you take that flat mat to Aunt Sally's house and you put it down and you run through the same uh, routines, but this time adding in the, the instant reinforcement of a treat to help your dog stay focused in this new environment. Then you add maybe Aunt Sally and her friend uh, B and her other friend Eleanor to the mix, and now you've got a little audience for your dog, and your your dog's getting used to the clappings and squeals of, of people watching him do his little tricks that he loves to do. Uh, then you can just build from there to broader and broader audiences into different locations so your dog will do these tricks anywhere anytime and is excited by them and then you can begin to transfer them over using aunt sally someone he's familiar with as your first uh volunteer and then slowly but surely using volunteers that perhaps he's never met before and by the way paw is a wonderful way to displace the transitional anxiety that comes from meeting new people. So once your dog really has that trick down pat, you can use that as a way for him to greet people coming into your home or to greet people out on walks who might want to give him attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love, you, you've demonstrated there that you do say, you know, you take dogs as individuals, you know, i.e. some will give poor naturally, some won't. And you point out, you know, um, some dogs won't fetch, you know, work to your dog's interests and, and strengths. Absolutely. And I always say, you know what? I love dog training. I absolutely have a passion for writing and for socializing and being with people. 
I did not go to engineering school. And if I had been forced to, I would have been miserable. And same truth being that if your dog doesn't fetch, if you have a Siberian Husky that loathes having things in their mouth and, and um, you, you force them to carry things, they're going to be miserable. It will show in their performance and it'll, it'll affect your relationship. So just don't do it. If you want a retrieving dog, get a retriever. If you have a husky, teach them to pull things. Teach them to pull a little wagon and a little cart. Um, but work with your dog's passions and respect them. Yeah, yeah. Now, you also cover agility in the book. We, you know, it, it's way too big a subject to cover, but there's just a couple of things because I've done some agility. I'm not, I'm not very good, <laughs> and, uh, but it's not Buddy's favorite thing, but we have done some agility. But one of the things that I really like that you say is, um, believe it or not, sometimes the hardest thing to control in agility isn't your dog, it's your temper. And that's right. spot on, that is. <laughs> 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 I, I it's said, funny it reminds us how human we are really yeah, when you yeah. try something new and you have to remember it's not it's it's you know your dog is a is a complete other species in a in a it's like it's like walking around with a little child and trying to teach a child uh, a new task for the first time they are just not going to master it and this reminds me of a couple of weeks ago i took my daughter up to ski for the first time Hmm. And I'm an avid skier. I love skiing. I skied all my entire childhood away. And I, I don't even remember when I was first put on skis because I was too young. Hmm. So I put her on skis and I take her out to the mountaintops and I just want her to like it right away. <laughs> it's a beautiful spring day and I've got her in the skis and it just snowed two feet. And it was very hard for her. And hmm. for 10 minutes, I embarrassed myself. I was saying things like, never say never, and you can do this, and stand up. And, and then I had to check myself. It was just like people who are learning to train their dogs for the first time or who are walking out on the agility course for the first time. You, you're, you're going to be very human. You are going to get frustrated. But if you let that bubble over to your dog, you're going to ruin their enthusiasm for this sport for life. That will be their first mm. memory. Yeah. And what my husband did very quickly, he had gone out and bought a pack of M&Ms because it's how we encourage our kids to do anything, from going to the bathroom to cooperating, getting to their car seat. He put a pack of M&Ms in my hand, and he said, why don't you try this? <laughs> and I had M&Ms, and within two days, she was looking back, her, her face was beaming, she was holding her, her hands in front of her and balancing beautiful on the skis. But it's the same thing. You have to keep reminding yourself when you take your dog and you try anything new. They've never done this before. They're, they're overwhelmed by the experience and the sights and smells of, of the new place and the other dogs. And you very patiently have to look at it from their perspective. I always tell people when you take your dog out on an agility course, give them a virtual tour of the equipment and of the space. Let, now, a virtual tour for a dog isn't let, let them look around. Dogs don't see things the way we do. They have to smell them. So let them smell the equipment. Bring their favorite treats and bring plenty of them so that you are able to lure and guide them onto the equipment. And if the equipment moves and might make a sharp, startling sound, move it and make those sounds before the dog has set foot on the equipment itself. Make sure they're conditioned to the fact that these sounds happen around this piece of equipment. Mm. And like you said, check your temper at the door because it won't uh, do anything but, but frighten your dog. 
yeah. especially if you treat them as I treat my dogs, like, like children. Yeah. If you treat them well all the time and then suddenly you lose the plot on the agility field, they're never going to go near an agility field for the rest of their life with yeah. their tail up. Yeah. And I mean, a, a lot of dogs will, will love agility. Um, although we, we did some, it just wasn't for us. Um, whether being, a, you know, quite a, a stout Labrador, you know, he didn't like it. But what, one of the interesting things I found, and that clearly I wasn't conveying to him and what I wanted and I wasn't motivating him well enough, was um, we were having the uh, jumps at the lower level. Because mm-hmm. I was saying, he's not going to make it over the top. He's not going to make it over the higher. And then the little swine, he would walk up to me. He'd be the other side of the higher level jump, the ones that we weren't working with. And I'd say, come here. And from a, a standing or a sitting start, he would clear the high level just for the hell of it. You know, like, well, I can do it. But he wouldn't do it. If I said to him, do this now, you know, jump now or over or whatever, he'd be like, I don't want to now. <laughs> Right. I, I don't know what the block was, but and the other thing that I mean, it's his personality. Yeah. I, mean, I have to say, yeah. I have I have a Labrador now. I have young children, and I adore her. And my last dog was a Border Collie. I had two. I had a little terrier and a Border Collie, who were both my tricks dog. Both took to agility like a duck to water. And my Labrador would have the exact same response you're describing. It is not her personality to exert herself unless she chooses yeah. to yeah. exert herself. And it, there's nothing wrong with our dogs. It's just they're not agility dogs. They were yeah. not born and bred to do um, that type of activity. If I asked her to carry the bagel bag home every time and walks proudly through a <laughs> mile of town with that bagel, with her tail wagging and her hair held... Uh, head held high. She loves to cart. She likes to uh, carry the paper in. Those are her strengths. Agility is her. So you might have an agility dog in the making when you get a puppy, and you might not, and mm. you got to run with it. Yeah. You can't change who they are. No, absolutely. It's interesting that you say let them explore the equipment because um, I had a great trainer. I, re- I really liked him, but he had all border collies. That is, there are a, they are a completely different mindset from a Labrador. And I always think sort of Labradors are the comedians of the dog world, and they just want to have a laugh. And, <laughs> and you know, and and so we would we would be nap trying, on the couch. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we'd be trying to sort of say, do this jump, do the tunnel, do this, you know. Um, and he'd be saying, but that looks fun over there. I want to go into the A frame or the walk over, you know. And he'd want to go off and try things. And I think maybe had I, if I could have had the space to let him have a really good look round. Um, and then he might have said, okay, I, I understand now, I'll, I'll come and work. But obviously the danger there was he might say, I'm never working again because now I know how much fun it can be if I just go and play. <laughs> so, right, right, right. You know, it's, well, it's difficult... and, and you'll never know because life no. is short and you have to, to spend time uh, where you're most happy and your dog. Agility yeah. is a sport for the human and the dog, and if one, one partner doesn't like it, it's... It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't excite you and it's not something you want to devote hours to, the thing to remember about agility is it takes a year of sometimes, uh, ideally three times a week practicing for a good hour to 90 minutes, a year to develop any sort of synchronized understanding of the sport. So if you love it, it will become addictive. It will be all you think about and and it will be your, you know, ice cream sundae at the end of the week. But if you don't, 
don't don't push yourself. If it's misery to get in the car and, and drive to agility practice, even if your dog loves it, there are so many other activities. And dogs love the time that you spend with them mm. above everything else. It does not matter what you're doing with that time. So while I loved agility with my Border Collie Shayna, I would excite to going out and, and uh, working the course with her. Mm. Um, I don't with Whoopsie. Our dog's name is Whoopsie Daisy. We call her Whoopsie. She had many accidents <laughs> as a puppy, and she was very clumsy. She was never born to be an agility dog. Mm. She would get mm. stuck in, you know, in the rungs of a chair and get confused. <laughs> so uh, a simple, loving dog who's raised two children with the patience of a saint, we call her our little Buddha, was never, I didn't excite to go do agility with her because she just wasn't excited about it. Yeah, yeah. My but border I, collie literally would jump back and forth in the car, and she knew to sit still in the car. She was just, uh, she couldn't bottle her enthusiasm mm. for working the agility course. And Whoopsie is just like, a, I didn't want to even get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> I think Buddy, Buddy would empathize with that. But, I mean, what, I know... Well, like the social aspect of it, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the definitely. socializing was fun. You know, <laughs> yes. the effort... Maybe five or ten minutes. Yeah, but and not, then that's it. <laughs> not as exciting as, no. as the extra kibble. <laughs> but I know um, you sort of do say every dog can do tricks, can't they? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. every, every dog has a passion. You sometimes have to work a little harder to find out what your dog is. Little dogs love to dance, and there's all sorts of funny things you can do with dancing you can put your favorite music on and and kind of use luring is what uh is a technique where you hold either a toy or a treat very close to the dog's nose so only a centimeter from the dog's nose and angle it to guide their body into a posture that that's at, at one natural to them and also in the direction of the trick you're trying to teach them. So you can use luring to teach simple things like sitting down, but you can also use it to teach your dog to wipe their paws on, you know, on a towel by taking the treat under their nose and just drawing it, drawing it around slowly to their tail and then slowly increasing the speed and having them turn around and around and around. You can use luring to teach a dog that, that is comfortable and enthused by uh, standing on two hind legs to stand up, and then you can use rhythmic patterns to teach them motions that that um, uh, follow the rhythm of of the music that you're listening to. So there's so much you can do once you find out what what your dog's passions are. And by the way, one good clue to discover what excites your dog is look at what they do when someone new comes into the house or when your kids come home from school because it's during those transitional activities that you see excitement and anxiousness that displaces into a certain behavior. So, for example, if your dog barks when people come in, you have a dog you can teach barking tricks too. Our dog doesn't, my last dog barked in Terrier, I had her counting her, you know, she'd count to 10, she'd tell everyone how old she was, she'd count <laughs> the birthday candles on the cake, because she was Terrier and she barked. And when people came in the house, she barked. So during those transitional events, how does your dog manage the stress? Then take that clue and discover all the tricks that await you. 
Dog tricks and agility for dummies will stop you and your dog ever being bored again. And you'll also be having fun and improving your relationship and communication. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with Sarah Hodgson, and you can find out more about her at her website, whendogstalk.com, or on Facebook or Twitter. And we have all three links on the Dogcast Radio site. Every dog should have a man of his own. There's nothing like a well-behaved person around the house to spread the dog's blanket for him or bring him his supper when he comes home man-tired at night. Corey Ford You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. Do you think your dog communicates different things with different sounds? Well, you're right, according to recent research. In tests, a dog was allowed into a room which contained a bone, and then one of three sounds was played into the room. Interestingly, if the sound played was that of a dog growling, either in play or towards a strange human, the dog entering the room approached and started to gnaw on the bone. However, if the sound was that of a dog growling while guarding his food, the dog in the room was deterred from approaching or touching the bone. Researchers concluded that the dog in the room could understand the message conveyed by the growl it was hearing. We all have times when we wish we could communicate with our dogs more effectively, and one such situation occurred recently in Maryland, USA. Jewelry store owner George Kaufman had taken his golden retriever solely to work with him while he and his partner were examining diamonds brought in by a dealer. When one stone fell to the floor, quick as a flash, Soli grabbed it, and worse still, despite his owner's frantic efforts to pull the diamond out of his mouth, the dog swallowed it. A vet was consulted, who advised them to wait and let nature take its course, and three days later the diamond re-emerged, none the worse for its adventure, but we imagine needing a jolly good clean. Senior citizen, 92-year-old Florence Bechelet, took a page out of one of Agatha Christie's Miss Marple's books recently and turned detective when her corgi, Coral, went missing on the Channel Island of Jersey. Investigating the disappearance, she found witnesses who described the woman who had bundled the dog into a car and sped off with her. When Florence recognised the description of her ex-housekeeper, Betty Lansdowne, she passed her ex-employee's name and address to the police, and kidnapped Coral was soon back home. Betty justified her actions to the officers who called to collect the corgi from her by saying she had grown close to the dog when she worked with Florence and she felt that Coral's owner didn't care for her well enough. Mind you, trying to do your best for your dogs can have its dangers too. Kelly Osborne recently intervened in a fight between two of her mother Sharon's 11 dogs and ended up fracturing her elbow in the process. Sharon, 57, has 11 dogs, including Pomeranian Minnie, British Bulldog Lola, Japanese Chin Maggie, and the latest addition to the pack, Boxer Pearl. And on the subject of broken bones, in the UK, a team of vets, nurses and students at the Queen's Veterinary School Hospital in Cambridge were celebrating the miraculous recovery of a lurcher called Ruby. When Ruby was hit by a car, she suffered two broken legs, a broken sternum, a broken toe, a dislocated knee, ruptured ligaments and internal bleeding into her lungs. Poor Ruby's broken body was basically rebuilt with metal plates and screws and a skin graft too, as well as a lot of nursing and tender loving care. Amazingly, Ruby has remained cheerful throughout her treatment and should be back to normal exercise in three months' time. 
just over four months after the accident. Well, here at Dogcast Radio, we wish her a speedy recovery. And that's all from us on the news desk. Goodbye. Every boy should have two things, a dog and a mother willing to let him have one. And every boy who has a dog should also have a mother, so the dog can be fed regularly. Earlier this year, I went off to a training session with the Carry Ons Flyball team. To find out more about Flyball, I spoke to team captain Katie Burns. And as you'll hear in the background, the team dogs who were practicing as we talked were very excited. We're here in a very cold barn. <laughs> Lots of excited dogs. <laughs> and we're yeah, doing flyball. So yes. if, if someone doesn't know what flyball is, how would you describe it? Flyball is a relay race over four jumps to get a ball out of a box, and there's four dogs in a team that do it at a time. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got quite a variety of dogs here today, haven't we? Yes, we, we've got Kiri, who's our Yorkie Poo, and we go up to Troy and Daisy, who are big German Shepherds. Yeah, yeah. it's very sweet seeing the little Yorkie Poo run over the jumps, isn't it? Yes, yeah. but she does a struggle, and the, the heights of the jumps vary depending on the height of the dog. Yeah. So if you've got a dog that size in the team, she can then jump, all the collies or other bigger dogs in the team jump the same height fences as she does. Right. So it makes the team faster. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually a good thing to have a small dog on, yes. on your team. They're called height dogs, so they're ready sought after. Yeah. So we've got a few height dogs, a couple of spaniels, we've got a lot of parsons who will be in the next session. Yeah. yeah. This one's got to be a little height dog. Yeah. Oh, and she's a spaniel. Yes, this yeah. is Millie, who's a working cocker. Yes. She yes. belongs to my mum, but she comes with me. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Why not? So, I mean, really, whatever breed you've got, you could have a go at flyball. If they like tennis balls and they like running, they'll like flyball. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what, you know, because it's, it's starting to so got to be a little bit sort of... Obviously, an, an older dog, perhaps you wouldn't want to start it with a very much an older dog. But. I've seen dogs up to 14 doing flyball. So even the, the, the fences start at seven inches. Yeah. So seven inches isn't much even for an older dog. Yeah. Particularly if they're big yeah. dogs. Yeah. But there's dogs in fly that are doing it at 12, 13 oh. and still competitive. So. And they do veterans as well for the older dogs. They do starters and veterans. Yeah. She doesn't bark apart from when she's here. <laughs> Too exciting. Yeah. It, the volume will go up when we have the team dogs because they get really excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess if you can get your dog into flyball, you know, it will it maybe will keep them going longer yes. and, and a healthy old age. Yeah, it makes them fit and active. It gets them using all the muscles and they're turning and they're just enjoying life and yeah. running around staying fit and happy and yeah. Okay, and what age can you start at? We start training at 12 months old when they're fully formed and we'll take any age after that. Yeah. If they're nicely developed, we'll start at possibly 10, 11 months a little bit early, yeah. but not any earlier than that. No, no, no. And what's the best way? If someone wanted to get started in flyball, what would your advice be? The best way is go on the British Flyball Association website, mm-hmm. which is flyball.org.uk, and that has a list of all the teams in the area. Uh, there's a map that shows exactly which teams and which are the closest to you. Yeah. And contact a team. There's a whole list of teams on the internet. Contact a team and they should take you on and yeah. get your training and show you the ropes. Yeah. Oh, excellent. And what's sort of the first thing you start with? Because as you said, we've got the four jumps. They've got to, do they step on the board at the end? Or is yes. That, yeah. So how do you start? What we normally start, uh, the, 
this one that's just racing now is, is its first ever trading session. Yeah. And we normally start them just running down the four jobs. So we backwards trader. They'll do the four jobs. Then we'll teach them the box. And we'll start just by handing them a ball yeah. and teach them to stand on the box. And then as they get more confident, we get them to activate it. Yeah. And then we start going backwards again. So send them one jump the box, one jump. I call them back and then gradually build it up so we do the full run. And then we teach them to do changeovers and things which get the scary part. Yeah, yeah. Now explain about, you just said changeovers. What's a changeover? A changeover, it's probably easiest to show you what a changeover okay. is. And that's where, because you've got four dogs racing, the time where those cones are yeah. is six foot for the first jump and to get the best time you want your dogs to cross at that point yeah. so that you don't lose any time because yeah. it's the time of the four dogs racing plus the time it takes you to change over yeah. Yeah. so if you can get your dogs to cross at that point you don't waste any time so it really is the skill of the dog and the skill of the handler and the skill of the handler yeah. Rachel Ward has been enjoying flyball for seven and a half years and her dogs are at different stages of flyball I've got three Border Collies yeah. and one crossbreed. Yeah. Um, th- my first Border Collie, Storm, he started flyball because he was a very shy dog. Yeah. And he'd only sort of come to us for a tennis ball. That was like his main lure. Oh. So then I-, I saw flyball on the internet, went along to a training session and that's it, really. Yeah. Oh, and that, you found that helped him? It did. It really brought him out. Well, he was, he was mad for the ball anyway, yeah. but uh, it really sort of helped him and with his training and, and to get a bond with him, really. I think it's... Yeah. It's nice to have fun with your dog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what's the hardest bit about, you know, getting started in flyball or doing flyball? I think bit? because it's a, it's a team sport and you do it as part of a team, I think it's being confident enough with other people. Yeah. And trusting your dog with other dogs as well. Yeah. Um, but it's really good for socialising your dog. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it sounds it, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And what's the best bit of, about flyball? Oh, all of it. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> The best bit yeah. is the British Flyball Association has individual awards per dog as they race into, into open standards. Um, so you get individual awards from them as well. So yeah. you've always got a landmark to work for. No matter if your dog's really fast or really slow, it can always work towards that landmark. So it's nice to achieve yeah. and be recognised by the yeah. governing body, really. Yeah. So as you say, you've got the team thing, so you're working with, with the team. Yeah. But, so you're also measuring your, well, your own and the dog's progress against what yeah, you've done. Yeah, each, each time the team runs, they're given points by the, the, by the British Flyball Association. Yeah. Um, and they go against the dog's name, because your dog has to be registered with the British yeah. Flyball Association to run. Um, and they, they sort of amalgamate up, into, up to an award, really. So yeah. they, they start from as little as 200 points yeah. to up to 100,000 or I can't remember what we're up to now we're probably round about that yeah. soon is it like agility where you have a record yes it yes, is yes you have yeah. a record book and then yeah. you yeah so you you go do you get that sort of stamped up competition it's all online so you can go right. online and you can see what, how your dog's doing and how other dogs are doing so it's it's nice to to yeah. see it and keep your eye on it and work towards those individual awards as well yeah. as, as you, you sort of the main team yeah, excellent. Now, when, when we say a dog has to be registered, yeah. it doesn't have to be a pedigree dog, does it? No, any dog can do it. As long as you're registered with the governing body to race in open flyball, which is without the netting, yeah. um, then you'll be given a number by the BFA, and that gives you your points. Yeah. Um, you have to belong to a team. The team must be registered by the BFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're a starter dog, you still belong to a team, but you don't have to be registered with the BFA. You can run without being reg- a registered right. member. Just yeah. so you can get a go and yeah. see if yeah. it's for you, really. The next dog handler I spoke to had the smallest dog in the room. 
Amy Second and Kiri. And she's a gorgeous little Yorkie poo. She is, yeah. Yeah, and how old is she? Um, almost 18 months. Yeah, mm. yeah. And she's, she's smashing it. I've seen her do the run. Yeah. And she's great. She's flying down there. And she's yeah. loving it, isn't she? Well, she's ball mad. She always has been since yeah. she was tiny, so I thought... Who says little dogs can't do it? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, you're so, fairly new, then. Mm. You've been going about three months. Yeah. So how did you get started? Um, I'm friends with Katie and Rachel, and I know they were into fly ball, and um, she was born mad and driving us mad, bringing balls all the time, so I thought, just try it, see yeah. if she loves it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. So you, you, you sort of didn't have to go to the website and find out. You yeah. knew it through I friends. Yeah, through friends, yeah. 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 And how did she take to it? Um, at first, probably for the first three times she came, she was really overwhelmed with all the other dogs. Yeah. Because they get really excited and barking. And um, she didn't do anything at first. So I was just playing with the ball with her in the corner to get used to it. And then it just clicked and she's mm. running up and getting it. She, have, she has a bit of trouble triggering the box because she only weighs three kilos. Oh, bless <laughs> So we're working on that. But, yeah. yeah, she's going well. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no excuse if you've got a small dog, you can still come and have a go. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Next, I spoke to Lee Ashwood, whose border collie was called Zoom. So, is she quick? No, not particularly. <laughs> no, she's not. No. No, no. Well, she is when she's not doing fireball. She's when she's out and about. Yeah. But here at the moment, she's not at all. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it, was, it was a name given with a, a certain sense of uh, humour about it. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> she'll, she'll grow into it, I'm she sure. Will. Yeah. She will. She yeah. will. She'll blossom. <laughs> and how long have you been doing fireball? Uh, about two years. Yeah. But Zoom's only been coming for, has only been coming for about three sessions. So yeah. she's very new to it. But, yeah. but I've been doing it yeah. for about two years. Okay. And, and, and so how's that? You've, you've done it with another dog. I've got two the dogs in the car. Yeah. Okay. So, what's it like coming to it new with a, a dog, a new dog to it? Uh, it's quite challenging, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> the other two dogs are both. They're all rescue dogs. All three dogs are rescues, and the, the first two we brought down, they're both uh, pure collies. Yeah. So they're very bright. So once you give them clear instructions, or it can be a long process, they do then get the hang of it, and yeah. and, and zooms mainly whip it. And yeah. So her her learning patterns are a little bit different. So I'm having to learn how to coach her yeah. and, and sort of lose my collie habits and, and learn how to, how to train a whippet, which, yeah. which is quite a challenge. Yeah. Imagine she should be fast, because with, with a lighter body and that speed, you know... Oh, she, she should be like lightning. <laughs> she just doesn't know that, does she? She just doesn't realise it. <laughs> we need to tell her she that. She just doesn't realise it yet, but we'll get there. Oh. We'll get there. So how, she's been doing it for... About, about three weeks. Three weeks, wow, so it's so, really yeah, early so days. So it's really early days yeah. for her, really yeah. early days, so just got to piece it all together really yeah so to anybody that wanted to start flyball or was just getting started you know what advice would you have for them um you need a lot of enthusiasm because the one thing that's really important to have as a skill when you first come down is recall because of course there's lots of dogs running around there's lots of tennis balls there's lots of people with treats in their pockets so there's lots of distractions yeah and so the one thing you really need to be comfortable with or no one really minds if they run around and have a sniff but ultimately you need to be able to get your dog back yeah uh, the first dog I brought down was a dog wasn't socialised very well. He'd been mm. so he's two years old and he's just an unwanted pet. hadn't had a lot of walks, mm. hadn't met a lot of dogs. So he, every time you'd let him go, would just charge off around the ring, yeah. sniff everyone, say hello. But, but you need to be able to get him back, otherwise you're going to hold everything up. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, enthusiasm and recall, you'll be f- absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think the opportunity just you can't really have any inhibitions, and you've got to use a silly high voice, haven't you, to get them back <laughs> yes. and, and wave your arms around and, and generally act like a clown. So, uh, As we do anyway with dogs. Well, so I think that's, so. That's I think okay. so. It shouldn't be too much of a problem. <laughs> no, no. Um, and your other two dogs, have yes. they been doing it for a couple uh, of for years? For about two years now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so and, and they just absolutely love it. 
which yeah. is why we, we, we brought them down because we were doing obedience with them and that's fine that's not terribly interesting for anyone really but it's essential yes and yeah. we just particularly with colleagues we just needed to give them something to do mentally yeah um and agility is quite difficult to get into. It's yeah. very, very popular, and, and, and lots of clubs have waiting lists and things. And, and flyball less so, but it's, and flyball's just a lot more informal, a lot more fun, as it turns out. Yeah. And so that they absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. love it. So it's just been worth it just for that. Yeah. A lot of these sports like agility. You know, sort of the perception, at least, is mm. that they are border collie dominated. Not at all. But not. It, it's not, not here, is it? No, it's not. It's not. And when you go to competitions, it isn't at all. It's yeah. Just, it's just. Because the competitions you race against teams that are of similar speed to you, yeah, it, it just means that you know even if you've got a very slow, old Labrador for oh, example. Oh yes, I've got quite a stout Labrador, and he's he's not oh. going to be wishing. But then he's going to be in a team of similar of similar pace dogs against teams of, of similar yeah. pace. So it's still good fun to race against those yeah. teams. You're not going to get beaten easily or, yeah. or win easily. So which just makes it good fun. Yeah, and the dog, and the dogs don't mind if they win or lose. They, they they're the ones that don't notice. Yeah, so. they're just having fun. Aren't exactly. They? Exactly. <laughs> So they're just having fun. Kate Nicholas, who got to the finals of television talent show Britain's Got Talent, and her three dogs were having fun at the team practice. And I met the newest member of the team, Twist, who will hopefully follow in the talented paw prints of Gin and Ice. Gin has excelled at flyball, although neither Kate nor I could remember exactly how many points she's earned, as you'll hear. Your dog Gin... Yeah. Did really well with Flyball, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. So tell us how... Because how, she got a Pearl Award, was it? Yeah. Yeah, which is... I don't know. <laughs> is it 30? Might be, yeah. I'll look it up. Know, yeah. She got the Pearl Award. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a lot of points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and she also won the British Flyball Championships in 2007 or 8, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> with, with live wires, and she did really well. And also, she, she's been to the European Flyball Championships. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you get into it, you're not just no. you, you, limited to the UK? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can go abroad competing. Yeah. The world's your oyster. Yeah. <laughs> OK. And when did you start with you? 2004 was Jim's first yeah. competition. Yeah. And what, what sort of attracted you to Flyball? Well, just because Jim, Jim has always been a mad dog and it just someone re- recommended it yeah. to us at, at our agility who we, already went to yeah. Flyball training with the Rhodesian Ridgeback and oh, yeah. they, they thought it'd be a good idea for Jim yeah. because she was manic yeah. and it suited Jim down to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So it sort of calmed her down, it let her... Well, yeah, it, it just released that mad energy into yeah. something, yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem to be something that Border Collies benefit from. Yeah. You know, that release yeah. of art. Yeah. yeah. And they get so... Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, the yeah. noise, know, yeah. when there's a race on, is incredible. Yeah. And then it just... There's a lot yeah. of... Oh, right. But it's really funny. Like, even the uh, flyable competitions, they, they blow a whistle to end the race, and yeah. all the dogs around around the ring and the ones in the ring all go quiet. Oh. It's really strange. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all know, that. yeah. <laughs> strange. Oh. So you, you've started with ice now yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, and how's she doing? She's doing really well. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. she should be going in, into open at the end of February. Yeah. So beginners is with the starters, isn't it? With netting. Starters. starters is with the netting. Yeah, and little jumps, and yeah. then when they hit eighteen months, they can go in open on yeah. full height jumps and yeah. without netting. Yeah, so she'll be moving up. To yeah, it. and we're standing here with Twist at the moment. Yeah. Um, so will he he be uh, fly balling? Yeah, well? yeah. <laughs> when he's older. Yeah. <laughs> to watch yeah. the other dogs running don't yeah. they there's tails yeah. and they get so excited yeah. <laughs> so if, if um, someone
someone wants to get into fly ball, what would your advice be? How, how do you get started? Well, I'd, I'd try and find your local club, like, on the internet yeah. or something, and make sure you, you, you've got a bond with your dog and play fetch with your dog beforehand so it likes tennis balls and you, you can easily get your dog back beforehand. And then you're halfway there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it does seem brilliant socialisation as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kate, my sister's rescue board collie, when she came to us, she wouldn't go anywhere near men. You'd take her to a flyable competition and she'd run a mile and go back to the car. But now... We kept taking her to flyball competitions and she she learnt flyball and she's been competing for like six years and she'll go to anyone now. She loves people so it can really change them. And for the Just better, yeah. Take the edge off. Yeah, them. yeah. But it, you don't have to have the board collie. No, you yeah. can have any breed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's twist? He's a Jack Russell cross poodle. Right, yeah, he's got a gorgeous <laughs> black and white, and you can see the poodle influence, can't you? Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Having done my research now, I can tell you that the Pearl Award Jin won is for 30,000 points. So we were right. It's a lot. It was fascinating to watch those dogs whizzing up and down the flyball lane and everyone, canine and human, getting so excited. Also interesting to know that the team was formed five years ago and started with homemade jumps and box and a grand total of four dogs and two handlers. Well, they've certainly grown. You can see photos of the handlers and dogs we spoke to on the Dogcast Radio site, where we also have a link to the Carry On's team site and the British Flyball Association. A house is not a home until it has a dog. Gerald Durrell. in the UK, the television show Over the Rainbow is searching for a Dorothy to star in Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's production of The Wizard of Oz, and they're also looking for a dog to play Toto. Now, in the film, Toto is a Cairn Terrier, but the auditions were open to any breed of dog as long as they were happy, healthy, and had bags of personality. That sounded right up Buddy's street, so we went along. I'll tell you how we got on in a minute, but first, here's an interview with Caris Ball, who was at the auditions with her dog, Rufio. And you're here today, you've been auditioning for the, the Toto role. Yes. So um, how did you get on? Yeah, well, he did quite well. We had a little chat with some of the judges. Um, he's quite jumpy, so I'm not sure if he'd have been right for it, but it was a bit of fun, so yeah. he did okay. He was very well behaved, yeah. I thought. So yeah, he was good. Yeah. And what did you actually have to do in the audition? Uh, we sort of walked around for about 15 minutes or so. Judges came around talking to people, and um, we sort of had to show them a, a trick um, which Rufio jumped up and that was about it so his trick is more looking cute than actually yeah. doing dog tricks yeah. but there you go and, and sort of was it all you know the, we all imagine a Cairn Terrier for Toto was it all Cairn Terriers? There were, there were a couple but not really at all there was such a variety of dogs uh, Border Collies um, big Labradors and lo- you know lots of tiny little dogs strange yeah. breeds as well and Rufio is quite a strange breed as well he's a Pomeranian cross with a Jack Russell so he's quite yeah. unusual looking um, so I don't think they were necessarily looking for a Cairn Terrier no. but um, no. there were a different, lot of different types yeah. yeah now how does Rufio normally spend his days? he comes to work with me in the office uh, in Richmond upon Thames and he has a little bed sits there during the day we go for walks throughout the river and um yeah, and then we go for a walk in the evening over Battersea Park, which is near where I live. So yeah. he um, he loves the river 
in the park yeah. and he yeah he just generally sits down and chews a bone for most of the day yeah dogs with jobs they say <laughs> oh, absolutely so you traveled quite a long way today yeah i live in central london uh, fortunately my brother lives in leamington spa so it was just around the corner from him so it was a nice day out to see my brother anyway excellent so good. you've enjoyed it then very much so yes. yeah it's been a good day well there's a showing saying that you always take the best dog home so yeah exactly <laughs> fully agree well, it's been a bit of excitement for him yeah exactly bless him yeah brilliant As I said, we took Buddy into the auditions too, and he coped brilliantly with the long wait, first outside the building, then inside, with lots of new dogs and people around. Finally, it was our turn to have the cameras on us, along with the 29 other dogs in our group. Buddy turned on his Labrador charm, and he willingly went through his repertoire of tricks, playing dead, rolling over, shaking hands, marching and so on. We did get to have a chat with Sarah Fisher, who was one of the judges, but unfortunately, Buddy wasn't chosen to go through to the next round. When I've watched X Factor or American Idol or any of those shows where Simon Cowell earns vast sums of money while insulting hopeful strangers, I've always wondered, how do they cope with the rejection? Well, all I can tell you is that Buddy coped with it brilliantly. It was as though he'd just had a great day out, met lots of new friends and been fed lots of treats too. I am expecting a phone call or email any minute now from the Team Toto judges seeking to rectify the mistake they made in overlooking my wonderful dog. In fact, I'd better go and check my messages now. So, till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why did the dog sleep on the chandelier? He was a light sleeper.